This week's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Imagine two different pictures, okay? We're going to start here. First, moving back in time, okay? Think early 1800s, right? During the American Industrial Revolution. Smokestacks are lining the city's skyline. You step inside an old, soot-covered factory. If you're going to have to use your imagination here. The factory, it's running, it's, it's producing, but it's loud. The gears are turning at just a breakneck speed and grinding out with every product that it spits out. Metal, as far as your eye can see, lifeless and cold, but it's doing its job. The factory. Okay? Now let's move on to our second image. But this time, it's a warm summer day in late August. You're in the countryside, and the grass is tall and a rich color of green. There's just a few clouds in the sky. Okay, off in the near distance, just at the top of this small hill, stands this apple tree. Its branches are strong, and its leaves, they're lush, and they're full. And the fruit, man, you've never seen anything like it. The apples, they're round and bright red. They're sweet and juicy as you've ever had. Just a portrait of of unadulterated life and vitality, of flourishing, of provision, all right, have you got those images in your head? Go ahead and open up your eyes. I want you, I want to, I want you to, to hold these pictures in your mind because I think they can serve as almost like a visceral reminder, right? Uh, that shows the kind of contrast that the Apostle Paul makes in this passage between what he calls the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so if you would um, open up your Bibles And turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. We're going to take a look at the works of the flesh. In verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So what's wrong with these these works of the flesh that this old factory of the sinful nature processes anyway? Well, first, I think we need to define our terms, okay? If we're going to talk about the flesh, we need to know what it is. The flesh doesn't just refer to our physical existence, right, That that our actual physical bodies are bad. But God made it clear when he created our bodies that when he created them, he created them not just good, but very good. 
but rather the flesh is this aspect of our being that, that still desires to sin, still desires to find ways to be independent from God. And the works of the flesh, man, they're toxic. They're contaminated byproducts of that clinging factory, that image you had in your mind. Okay, and what is sin? John 3, 4, it says this, sin is lawlessness, to put it very plainly. It's being a law unto yourself. It's saying, I think I know better than God. So I will define what is good in my own life rather than submitting to God's word and his design for me. But we know that if something goes against what's good, then it's harmful, it's damaging, it breaks things. I think we all can agree that the list we just read, man, if left unchecked, it causes a lot of damage that can really hurt things. So let's take this list and break it down into four different, four different categories, okay? There's four different categories we can see here where the sinful nature tends to play itself out in sexuality, in religion, relationships, and substance abuse. So in regard to sexuality, Paul mentions in verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. I have to ask, who here hasn't experienced some sort of pain from these, if not all of them? Right? We don't even need to look far beyond our own experience to see the damaging effects of, of sexuality that's been unbound from the protection and the security of a covenantal relationship. I mean, to make this personal, maybe, maybe one of your parents had an affair. Maybe you were the one who was cheated on. Maybe you've experienced sexual abuse in your past. Or maybe you're horrified that now as you look and you know that you were the one who was the abuser. This sinks down into the real nitty-gritty of our life, doesn't it? Then moving to to religion or superstitious sins of the flesh. He mentions, next you'll see idolatry. Not only uh, physical idol worship, but placing anything, anything above God in our hearts and our affections. And sorcery, the engaging in practices um, that fake the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? That fake the work of the Spirit, the occult black magic and things like this. Okay? Next, Paul lays out eight things that destroy human community and relationship. Look at verse 20. It says, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. This ranges from, ranges from selfish competition, you're getting ahead at the expense of others, carrying a grudge, uh, an insatiable, hungry ego, being dis- uh, argumentative and, and divisive, or just having an out-of-control temper. And who, who of us here hasn't been who hasn't been caught up in the ugliness of enmity in family conflict? Or maybe you've seen it play out in, in larger groups of people, in racism or nationalism. Politically, as a country, we're raging at each other. We're, we're divided. We're, we're angry, base, vulgar. And finally, Paul rounds out this list with, with two words that refer to substance abuse. It says drunkenness and orgies, addiction to, to pleasure-producing substances and behavior. You know, whether that's alcohol, whether that's food, whether that's sex, whether that's medication or other drugs, it's an overindulgence of pleasures. And then he concludes by saying, and things like these. So this list, it isn't exhaustive. You know, there's thousands of ways that the selfish desires of the flesh demand to get their own way. All right, but it's easy sometimes, right, to talk about 
all the, the works of the flesh and all the, the devastating effects of it out there. But the struggle with the flesh isn't just out there, is it? It's in us too. If you're a Christian, then there's this, there's this conflict raging inside each and every one of us at every moment between the flesh and the renewed God-loving spirit within us. The flesh seems to incite this, almost this civil war of, uh, of conflicting inner desires in us every day. Husbands, you sincerely desire to love and cherish your wives, giving her the gift, your wife, giving her the gift of faithfulness and exclusive affection. And yet when you see that beautiful, maybe flirtatious woman at your workplace, or perhaps on that screen, man, in you rises this subtle but powerful lure for a little more adventure, a little more risk than your current marriage is providing. Or maybe this one hits closer to home for others of us here. We know that our children are a blessing from God, and we deeply desire their good, right? I think we all could say that. And yet when they get in our, the way of our plans or, from, or, or keep us from feeling like we're in control of our days, we're so tempted to manage their behavior through what? Any ideas? Through our anger, right? Through out-of-control out of temper, I can keep them in line if I, if, I can, if, I can, if I can just, you know, express my anger at this certain moment, Right? The ba- this battles play out in a hundred different ways, in a hundred different settings amidst a hundred different personalities. And so then look at verse 17. Paul alludes to this battle. He says, for the desires of the flesh, they're against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit, they're against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, keeping you from doing the things that you want to do. These works of the flesh that we're talking about, man, they wreak havoc in our society and in our very lives it's a factory of death, one that consistently, continuously produces self-indulgence and self-destruction. And listen, the Bible's very, very clear that that's all the sinful nature is capable of producing. And it's a pretty bleak picture. So yeah, we're all pretty familiar with the old, dirty factory that is this sinful nature. But what else is there then? Paul goes on to starkly contrast those works with something far better in the following verses. So go ahead and open up to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the first thing you, you, you may notice, one of the things you may notice is that in spite of listing nine different things, Paul doesn't say that these are the fruits of the Spirit, plural. Rather, he uses the singular fruit, okay? Think about it like this, an apple. I've got an apple here. For example, it's red. It's also quite smooth and crispy and it's juicy all at the same time. Okay, in the same way that the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit with various characteristics. In other words, you can't have just one aspect of the, of the, of the fruit without the others simultaneously growing. Seeing the fruit as, as singular 
interconnected, symmetrical. It helps us distinguish between the authentic fruit of the Holy Spirit and the counterfeit or contaminated fruit that can actually be produced by the flesh. Okay, stay with me here for just a minute. Let me, let me give you a few examples. This might be a person who's naturally really upbeat, okay? They're socially extroverted, just giving that appearance of authentic, genuine joy. But maybe that's just a cover for an anxious or busy heart, one that lacks an abiding peace. See, they have to go together. Or a person who, who maybe they appear to be the perfect picture of peace, and they're calm, they're unaffected by trials, nothing seems to faze them. But maybe that's because they lack the love to be troubled by others' burdens. You see, peace and love, they're inseparable. You can't just pick and choose the one that you like. Or, I'm doing good at this one, but I'm not really, this one really isn't for me. Right? They're all meant to work in conjunction, work together symmetrically in our lives. The Holy, and that's why it's a supernatural fruit. It's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. There's not disconnected or independent from one another. And it's why this, this is why the Holy Spirit has to produce this kind of uh, fruit in our lives. It's supernatural and it's beautiful as it grows. Amen. So not only, not o- and not only connected to each other, I-, I, wanna, I wanna propose this morning that they're actually all the natural outgrowth of that very first characteristic, which is love. And many scholars will, will even say that each one of the expressions of this fruit it starts from and finds its fullest and purest expression in love. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13, 3. It says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And there's, also, there's a reason why, this, why love comes first on the list of these fruits. Let me try and make this even more clear. Okay, one way to understand that the emphasis of a passage of Scripture is to look at what it's called its literary context, meaning what comes before the passage and what comes right after the passage. Okay, so can we do this exercise together? Open up your Bible and turn back a few verses to verses 13 and 14. And this is what comes directly before the passage that, we ha- that we're studying today. It says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, so we looked at before. What about after? What comes after this passage? Go to chapter 6. Right after talking about the fruit of the Spirit, Paul then addresses how to help someone who's in sin. Okay, this is what he's doing. And he says in verse two, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? What's he talking about there? The law of Christ is without question what Jesus called the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. The law of Christ is the law of love. Love for God and love for others. This message, it's all over chapter five and six of Galatians. Living in the fruit of the spirit is living in love. Are you with me? Are you following me with this? You can think of it like this. The fruit of the spirit is one fruit and love is the core 
of that fruit from which all the remaining aspects are a natural outgrowth. So, but the, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Last week, Pastor Chris looked at how love and joy and peace are all attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. And so today, let's just take a few minutes to dive into the attributes of, of patience and kindness and how they work themselves out through love. So when you look at the scriptural meaning of patience, it can feel, well, it can feel kind of uncomfortable, actually. <laughs> Long-suffering, right? Slowness of avenging a wrong, steadfastness. So it's, it's deeper than just a breathing technique that you practice when you're behind a really slow driver and really annoyed, right? <laughs> it's something that arises when real trials hit or when you've been really wronged. And so we bear with one another's weaknesses. We forgive when it seems the person will never change. Human nature is to retaliate, to seek harm, to, to get even when, wrong, when wronged, and to give up on people when they're slow to change. But to walk in patience is to endure offenses with, with a heart of forgiveness and with, with a heart of compassion and mercy. To walk in patience is to realize, to recognize that moment when you're about ready to lose your cool with someone that you have been the recipient of a lifetime of patience from God. Ephesians 4, 1, it says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And kindness, that, that high level of noble virtue, virtue that seeks to always do good the inclination of the heart that intends for the very best for others, to bring them no harm but only what is beneficial for others. Christ uses this, it's, it's pretty interesting, he uses the root word of this word in Matthew eleven thirty 30 when he says that his yoke is easy. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He uses that same, their same root word there it doesn't needlessly burden. That's kindness. Romans 2.4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. In other words, it's far more than just being nice to somebody. Right? Kindness, that disposition, that inclination, even more than just an action, but an inclination towards someone um, in kindness has the power to actually transform. Now, in general... <laughs> It's never a good practice to give examples from your own life when demonstrating some Christian virtue, okay? <laughs> but the, the outcome of this one situation I want to share with you about was so surprising to me that it was the obvious work of God, God's grace in a moment of my weakness and fear that I think it's worth mentioning. I remember this moment so clearly. I was in Costa Rica, and I was face-to-face, -face, without getting the long story of it, I was face to face with a man who wanted to rob me. He had a weapon, and he was ready to take all my money. It was the middle of the night. And by the grace of God, I, I, don't, I knew that Christ would want me to be kind to this bloodshot, ill-willed man who was trying to bring harm. And through a series of questions about his life and, and a conversation just driven by 
again, by the grace of God, a genuine kindness in that moment, um, I saw this man throughout the course of this conversation put down his weapon. He started crying, and he asked me to forgive him for what he was planning to do. And I share that because, again, it was a moment of fear and weakness in me. But when the kindness of Christ is demonstrated to those who are hurting, it has a transformative effect. With I was just, it wasn't even me. I just felt amazed that I had a chance to be a conduit of Christ's kindness in that moment and see the transformative effect in that man's life. And each of us has stories of an undeserved, well-timed posture of someone's kindness that, that caused us to change in some way. This is who we're called to be, conduits of God's kindness in a hurting world. And yeah, these virtues, they're overlapping in some way, but, but it also should be obvious that they are the natural outflow of a heart that is filled with love and genuine goodwill towards others. When love is the motivation, then the results will be a more patient disposition towards those who are aggravating to you and kindness to those who maybe don't even deserve it. And this is all because we know that God has been so patient and so kind with us towards us in our weakness. Amen? Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Are these not the characteristics that you want to define your life? Are these not the authentic, are not the, the authentic and holistic manifestations of, the, of these fruit, of this fruit in the life of your brothers and sisters, the most beautiful and attractive qualities about them? Just as we saw, the, the, the works of the flesh are evident and they're ugly. The fruit of the Spirit is beautiful. It's desiring. It's life-giving. So I hope we were able to paint a picture of those two worlds of those two ways of living, both the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So we've seen this picture of the stark contrast of a life lived by the flesh and a life lived by the Holy Spirit. But here is the big question. The question remains of how. Maybe you say, I want that Spirit-empowered, love-filled life, but how do I get it? Okay, but before we can get to the answer, there are two foundational realities that have to be true about you before you can experience the kind of transformation that this passage talks about. I'm going to kind of breeze through them because last week Pastor Chris talked about them briefly. And, um, but first, you must belong to Christ. And second, the desires of your flesh have to be crucified, put to death. So look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ. So I want to pause for just a minute and I want to talk to two groups of people that may be here. Two groups of people that may be here today. If you're here and you don't know if you belong to Christ, and the scripture makes it really, really clear that outside the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're left to your own efforts to try and be an authentically loving, joyful, patient, kind person. But the invitation to receive that the essence and the source of love itself that we talked about, it stands for you today. The Bible says that for as many as received him, 
who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if that's you this morning, can you admit that you don't have what it takes to save yourself, to produce this kind of works, uh, this kind of fruit in your life? Can you see that what Jesus did on the cross was for you, to take the punishment that your sins deserved? Because it's only by placing your faith in Jesus that the Holy Spirit will then take up residence in your life and begin to produce the kind of genuine love-motivated fruit that we've talked about today. Okay, but now let me speak to the believer in the room. If the Spirit of God lives in you, or as this passage says, if you belong to Christ, then I want to I encourage you. He is committed to bearing this kind of fruit in your life. Be encouraged. Second, Timothy, or Second Peter excuse me, 2, chapter 13, it says this. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. For the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence. So the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you and has promised to complete the work of sanctification and growth and godliness that he started in you. He's not giving up on you. So I, wanna, I want to ask you, do you have that same kind of vision for change in your life and in your character that God has for you? And the second prerequisite, we talked about, one, you have to belong to Christ. You have to be in Christ so the Holy Spirit lives in you. But you're, you have to crucify the sinful nature. And those who belong to Christ, verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passion. So Christian, believer, your sinful nature, your flesh was crucified 2,000 years ago with Jesus when he was nailed on the cross. And it was left there. And it was never resurrected. It was done. This is a past tense. And here's what this actually means. Because I've struggled with this for a long time. You know, it, my sin has been, has been crucified at the cross, but why do I still struggle, right? <laughs> what this actually means is that the power of your sinful desires to control you has been broken. And you no longer have to be a slave to any of your selfish, destructive, sinful impulses. There is always a way out. And there's, there's so much more that could be said about how this actually works and what it means to continuously crucify your flesh when it tries to pop its head back up. But for today, just be encouraged by this, that there is hope for you to no longer feel like you're a puppet in the hands of the desires of your flesh. There is hope for you to not be paralyzed by the ever-changing opinions of people around you. I need to preach that to myself. <laughs> to not give way to, the, to gossip in order to feel justified about yourself in some area. To not manipulate emotions to gain control over others. The power of your sinful nature is broken. And through the Spirit, there is a way out. And if those two things are true of you, if you belong to Christ, and if your sinful nature has been crucified, then here is the way out. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So how do we do that? Isn't that kind of the million dollar question of this whole passage? We see it here and we saw it at the very beginning of the passage. Look at verse 16. It says, walk by the Spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so the answer to this question is huge. This is so important. This is the moment we've been waiting for. So tell me how to do it. <laughs> tell me how to overcome my flesh and walk in the Spirit. But just wait for a second, okay? I want you to be really, really honest with yourself for a minute. How many of you at this point are waiting, or maybe you've already been scanning this passage in your Bible, looking for a checklist that you can start working on in order to keep in step with the Spirit? Just give me my to-do list, give me my formula, give me my, my rubric to evaluate my performance. Anybody in here? I, this was certainly me. Let me be honest with you, okay? This passage really exasperated me, okay? I really wanted it for it to tell me three steps to walking in the Spirit so I could have complete victory over the flesh, mastery of the fruit of the Spirit, and I can move on with my days, all right? And maybe you're hoping for the same kind of answer. <laughs> but I'm afraid to tell you that this passage offers no such formula. If they were there, I promise you, I would have found them, I would have hung them up on my fridge, and I would have to check off every morning before breakfast, because I'm all about checklists. <laughs> so we're left hanging in a sense, and yet the invitation to walk still stands, to keep in step. So I want to propose a different question. Maybe bet the better first question to ask is not how to walk in this way, but who are we being invited to walk with? That may be the real million-dollar question. In John chapter 15, you're welcome to turn there if you want, or you can just listen, but Jesus assured his disciples before going to the cross that he would send the Holy Spirit to be with them. And listen, this is so important. He said this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. Who are we called to keep in step with? None other than the Spirit of Jesus himself. And where do you think this list of the Spirit, of the fruit of the Spirit that we just read, even came from, from the first, in the first place? Think back to that flourishing, green, fruitful tree of love and patience and goodness and kindness. Think, that, think back to that for a minute with me. Think back to that longing that maybe first stirred up in you to know or, or, or to even be a person like that. What was drawing you in was not a list, but a portrait, a portrait of the greatest, most noble, most enthralling personality to ever walk the earth, the very Son of God, the Lord Jesus. What about love? Jesus is the one who subjected himself to painful humiliation, suffering, and death, all for the love of mankind. He demonstrated his love by laying down his life. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. What about joy? Jesus was filled with, says, with, with joy at the prospect of bringing many sons to glory. 
It says in Hebrews chapter 2, or we see in Hebrews 12, that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. In spite of the, the, the terrible sufferings that Jesus endured for you and me, he counted a joy to serve humanity. And as he neared his death, Jesus reminded his disciples, he said, my joy would be in you, would remain in you, and that your joy would be full. What about peace? Jesus was, was prophesied as the prince of peace in Isaiah. And then to his disciples at the Last Supper, he said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus, a man full of perfect peace, who could even speak peace to the raging winds and the storm, and it would obey him and it would calm down. And what about patience? The very same Paul that wrote, wrote the book of Galatians that we're in right now describes Jesus' ministry to him by saying this. He says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his unlimited patience. Has he not shown this same kind of patience to you and to me? And kindness. The kindness of Christ was displayed so beautifully in the way that he washed his disciples' feet or healed the outcasts, the lepers who no one even wanted to touch or be around. And this Jesus, he was good. Peter, Peter characterizes his ministry in this way. He says, Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good. And Jesus showed himself to be the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. The one who would leave the 99 to search after the one lost lamb, showing his extravagant, undeserved goodness. What about faithfulness? Jesus' faithfulness, too, and his trust in the Father's plan was complete. Despite knowing that it would, it, would, it would include the deepest suffering imaginable, he was faithful to the very end, saying, it was for this purpose that I came to this hour. And now Christ continues to serve his church, as it says, the merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus displayed the greatest gentleness in the way he cared for and the way he blessed little children, instead of, instead of seeing them just as some nuisance or interruption. Jesus himself said that he was gentle and lowly at heart. And, he di and, and did he not deal with that adulterous woman, remember the story at the well, with the greatest dignity and the greatest gentleness as he turned away her accusers and he spoke to her not with condemning words, but with an invitation to live a new life of freedom from the bondage that she was in. And finally, what about self-control? And Jesus was, he was able to call down, it says, more than 12 legions of, of angels to deal with his abusers. But Christ stayed true to his calling, exercising the greatest self-control, allowing himself to be arrested and beaten and crucified. This, my friends, is the spirit that we're invited to walk with. The Lord Jesus, the one who lived out perfectly the fruit of the Spirit. And he invites you and me to walk along with him as he begins to grow this same fruit in us. So all this talk today, I don't know if it, if it did this for you, but I know as, as I was studying the fruit of the Spirit and, and this talk about fruit and trees and love, it started to ring a bell in my head. I had heard this story before. 
in the, in the, from the mouth of Jesus. And maybe this rings true to you too as well. John 15, would you turn there with me? Um, John 15, verses 4 and 5. And here Jesus said to his disciples, and I want to say he says this to us this morning. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To walk by the Spirit is to walk with Jesus. Abiding in him as a branch abides in the vine that gives it life. You, the, your moment by moment disposition as the branch is one of receiving all that the vine has to offer. And in this we recognize that apart from Christ, even like we just read, we can do nothing to produce lasting fruit. But then Jesus gets even more specific. In verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide or remain in my love. So listen, we're not invited to walk with a list. We're invited to walk with a person, to keep in step with a person. And if you hear anything this morning, please hear this. If you want your life to be overflowing with goodness, with joy, with peace, with kindness, you'll never find it by looking to a list of rules to keep, formulas to follow, or strategies to ensure your success. But I'm going to tell you that to walk by, it's, it's to walk by the Spirit of Jesus, to abide in Him, to remain in daily, moment-by-moment moment communication and dependence on him. And yes, it will certainly entail reading the scriptures, opening the scriptures, but not because you're guilted into it, but because in doing so, you're feasting on the very words that show you most clearly who Jesus is. And yes, it's going to involve prayer too, but not because by checking off a daily prayer list, are you going to somehow earn your right to bear fruit? Have you ever seen an apple sweat? They don't sweat. <laughs> they produce as they're connected to the vine. But because you'll find that prayer becomes the place where your soul is free to commune with the one who gave his life for you, who's committed to your good, and who's eager to live a life of peace and kindness and faithfulness through your life. And yes, it will also certainly mean engaging in the life, the communal life and the corporate worship of the church, but not because somehow your commitment to the church is gaining you a better standing with God, but because you realize the church is his body. It's Jesus' body, a manifestation of Jesus himself on earth. And why wouldn't you want to be vitally connected to that community of Christ? You see, abiding in the love of Christ, it changes everything. It transforms even the motivation behind, our, uh, behind engaging in the everyday habits of grace that Pastor Chris talked about last week. Because now you're in a real relationship with a person, with your creator. Church, listen. 
This sounds so simple, but Jesus loves you. He really does. And change and growth and, and, and fruitfulness is about being in a loving, close relationship with Jesus. It has always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. So I want to just call you to lift up your eyes to him. This is not about what I, can, what I can do to produce this fruit in my life. It's about remaining connected in relationship with this one who, 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 who has the greatest love for you. Be humbled by the joy that he takes in you. Be grateful for the peace that he has given you. Be amazed by the patience that he's shown you time and time and time again. Stand in awe of the kindness and the provision that he demonstrates to you daily. And it's okay to take this personally too because this is part of what it means to abide in the love of Christ and to keep in step with the Spirit. And as his love changes you through that vital, daily, moment-by-moment connection with him, you'll start to see the power of your flesh lose its grip And the Spirit's fruit begin to naturally and organically grow in you.